Yeah, no, I think this is, uh, you know, these next, especially this little homestand, this next road trip coming up is, is, is going to be big for our group. We're playing a lot of good hockey teams, Vegas and uh, in Colorado, and um, I can't remember who else is in there, but, I mean, it's going to be tough on us, and we've we got to be ready. 7.03 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Chris Faber from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation is going to join us in just a moment here. Uh, before we do that, we need to take care of some business. Uh, I need to tell you about the Canucks Autism Network and the Ultimate, Ultimate Whistler Experience. Uh, you can buy raffle tickets right now. CanucksAutism.SplashDot.com. Uh, gift card to Nita Lake Lodge. Uh, Scandinavian spa experience, restaurant coupons, Vessi shoes, Arcteryx gift card. It's a great prize package. It's the ultimate Whistler experience. Again, CanucksAutism.SplashDot.com. You can buy tickets now. Uh, Halford and Bruff in the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Finally, whew, Halford and Bruff in the Morning Hour 2 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. I was thinking about adding a, a wink and a gun in there for the people that view on the Sportsnet Now app. So North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. What do you we, think? We just lost three viewers. Dang yeah. It. <laughs> Dang it. So that's a no? I, don't, I wouldn't ever do that again. Okay, let's go to the phone lines. Chris Faber joins us now on the Halford and Breath Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Fabes? Doing good. Uh, I'm always in the same boat as Bruff, actually, with our show when we do the reads. And, and hearing that, uh, I, I feel like I'm in a good spot uh, with, with not having to do those off the top of every hour. All right. You know, it's just a wink and a gun. It was just a friendly thing that <laughs> yeah. I, I see a lot of cool guys do out there, and I wanted to emulate it, but that's fine. Um, uh, so, go. Fabes, um, you know, since the, uh, the big team isn't uh, doing too well, this season with all due respect to the win they got last night in Buffalo. I figured we'd look for some uh, optimism with, with the prospects that the Canucks have. So uh, tell us about the start that Jonathan Lekaramaki is off to, right? That's, that's <laughs> gotta be some, some optimism here, right? Young kid yeah, world ahead of him. I mean, 15th uh, overall pick in the draft. He was selected in front of uh, two of his teammates over there in Jure gardens. And, um, He's being outperformed by both of them for sure. Uh, it, it's been, I mean, it's been tough sledding watching this guy because you see these highlights, right? And I think a lot of people will see this online from probably my Twitter feed, or maybe they do follow Jure Gardens and they see this. But um, th there are certain flashes in the Karamaki's game where you look and you're like, "Wow, look at look at all this skill." Um, the problem is when you're not watching highlights and you're actually sitting down and watching him play those eight to 12 minutes of ice time that he's getting, uh, in the Alsvenskan league, you're, you're thinking, man, I wish that this happened more often, or I wish that there's more confidence or more effort. Uh, there's, you know, just not a lot right now at five on five that you're seeing from LeCare Mackey. I, he's got five points, uh, through 16 games in the Alsvenskan league, uh, there's a whole bunch of different excuses that I've heard for the reasons why I know that uh, Jurgarden's being demoted down to the Alsvenskan league, which is the second tier in Sweden. Uh, after that, they, they ended up signing a bunch of veteran guys that are playing in front of him. But you know what? Like if, if that's an excuse, I don't really buy that because look Mackey's still getting time on the second power play unit. He's the guy who's absolutely leading that, that whole unit in shot attempts, maybe not shots on net. Cause he misses quite a bit from the left side, but um, there's, there's just not enough, 
you know, consistent showings of his top skills. When you see these flashes, you get so excited, but then you'll go three games without seeing anything. And uh, I'm curious if it's something about his confidence or, you know, a lot of people are mentioning that he had mono back in March and, you know, it takes, I guess, more than eight months to heal from that. Uh, So I don't know. I've set up uh, an interview with his GM uh, today, which will be nice to see what he says because uh, the general manager is the one who put this team together. He's also dealt with LeCaramacchi for a handful of years now uh, since he's been with Jurgarden. So very interested to see what, uh, what KG has to say, the, uh, the general manager out there uh, in Jurgardens. Is it just me or does whenever uh, a Canucks prospect struggles, it's like, did he have mono? Like that that's, <laughs> seems to be a question that comes up all the time, but how concerning is it when, it, when a, a, draft plus one prospect doesn't get off to the best start because we saw Jake Furtanen struggle in his draft plus one year. We saw Ole Ulevi at the very least um, plateau in his draft plus one year. So while nobody's going to write off Jonathan Lecker or Mackie, I think we can honestly ask the question, how concerning is this? Yeah, I think struggling in your in a draft plus one, depending on the league you are, can be something of concern. I think with this specific situation with the Karamaki, it is somewhat of a concern. I mean, this guy played in the SHL last year. Um, he was more productive in the SHL last season than he's been this year in the Alsvenskin, and that just that shouldn't happen, right? I mean, you're dropping down a level, and, and not just like a level. Like this is pretty much going from the NHL to the AHL, right? Like this is the second tier of this whole country's hockey. And he's in a spot where it's not like the situation around him changed that much. Like he's got the same line mates. He's playing with the same two guys, uh, Noah Oslin and Liam Ogren, that we saw get drafted just recently after him, right? So it's not like his line mates has changed. The only thing that's really changed around him is just like the competition. Uh, and seeing these players that are around him, he should be able to like continue to produce. We, I, I like, with the mono thing, I definitely can use that as an excuse. I think for the World Junior Tournament, uh, I think that's the spot where, yeah, it was you know he was a few months off of having mono. That's probably going to affect you uh, up to this point, but it, like coming up now on this next World Juniors, like this is where he's got to really show well. I mean, this is a player who obviously ripped it up at the U18s. You know, two months off of mono, he was the top scoring player at that tournament. He was. This is another reason why he shot up draft charts. Was uh, and the Canucks seem to really like this. Players that play well at the U18s get drafted by them. So that's what happened with the Karamaki. It just has not really been able to follow it up. And th- to look at him in his draft plus one, it, it is it's concerning because he dropped down a level, right? Like he's, it's not like the situation was made tougher for him with the circumstances around him. It feels like. You know, and I've I've seen this as well. People talking about Lakaramaki. He's a Vancouver Giants import draft, right? Like he the the Giants drafted him. He could be playing here in the WHL, and, and the Giants have treated their imports very well. Uh, with with uh, with some examples, Fabian Lucell uh, over the past year here, and they have another Swedish guy on their roster right now. I'm blanking on the goaltender's name that they did really well with this past season. Like there's. It would have been an interesting spot to have him here, but I think he stayed in the Alsvenskin because of likely the comfortability that he had with, like I said, going back with the same line mates, being with the same organization. Um, So to me, the production of just having one goal through 16 games, it is a little bit concerning for sure with why we're not seeing production from him. Is he still a lock to make the World Juniors team? 
Yeah, I'd say he's absolutely a lock because he yeah. is going to be one of those those guys that like plays as an 18-year-old this year and definitely plays as a 19-year-old next year. Mm-hmm. So uh, no matter the case, they are they are going to end up using him. Like they even at the Five Nations tournament that they had last week, he was uh, a guy who was on their power play unit. Um, and it's just yeah, I don't think that they would leave this guy off for for reasons why of like just him even developing. I, I don't think Sweden's going to have a very good team this year. Actually, just you know the fact that they got like run out of the building at the Five Nations tournament against Finland that was not uh, not a promising sign for what Sweden's going to look like at the World Juniors, but. Uh, it might be more of a preparation year this year for them to kind of get ready for uh, the next World Junior. So I think guys like him and his situation as an 18-year-old who are eligible for next year's tournament, like he's he's pretty much a lock here. I don't think he's going to get cut from that Sweden team. He might see some games where, like, if he is playing bad, he, he could be on the edge of being a healthy scratch, I think, for that team. Like, I don't think he's going to come in and be a top six forward guaranteed anymore, which, like, he was at the past summer's World Juniors. I don't think uh, – I think he's actually fallen in the depth chart probably since that World Junior Championship. But, um, uh, yeah, like, he, he he's a lock for sure to play uh, in December here coming up. Are there any other Canucks prospects that would be going to the World Juniors? You could look at uh, Akukos Genvo was kind of interesting to see him representing Finland. He's the goaltender out of Harvard. Uh, and it was, I think, really good of Harvard to let him go to that Five Nations tournament last week. Not a lot of NCAA teams are going to uh, allow their European players to go to a tournament like that. And Koskenvo looked great. Uh, he played against Sweden. He was shutting the door on Jonathan Lekaramaki quite hard. Uh, and I just think that like he's a really interesting one because... Like, I remember being at uh, Canucks development camp and Kevin Woodley wouldn't shut up about this guy, about just like the length that he has and how he moves and all this stuff. And uh, most of it went over my head because when Woodley opens his mouth, I try and close my ears. But <laughs> like, he, he was, he, he looks really good. Like I, like, I could even tell that this guy looks like a goaltender, right? And I don't even like goalies, but he, it was, it was interesting to see him. And he actually, over the past, Basically 12 months, like Koskenbo has been the best performing goalie for Finland at U20 tournaments and all of U20 international play. It's just he's not the highest drafted goalie that's eligible to play for Finland. So I hope he can sneak in as kind of the third guy and then maybe work his way into some minutes. So he's he's a name to keep an eye on. Um, and then Elias Pettersson, DPD, uh, the defenseman they drafted in the third round. I don't know if he's going to be consistently playing for Sweden this year, but I think he might be a guy that... Uh, is kind of like the seventh uh, or eighth defenseman who is going to end up playing in the tournament next year. So uh, those are kind of your three guys that I'm looking at right now. But unfortunately, it doesn't look like there's going to be much more than than three, I would have to say. Let's talk a little bit about Will Lockwood. Um, you've been watching him down in Abbotsford, and I think last night on the fourth line, stepping in for the injured Jack Studnika, uh, played really well. Um, that might have been... The best I've seen him play. Got his in, first ever NHL point. Yeah, last play in the NHL. And I remember in previous call-ups, I, I've kind of been like, uh, he doesn't look entirely confident. You know, I know a lot of people in this market thought that he might replace Tyler Mott, but, you know, it, it takes time. You know, Tyler Mott went to two teams, Chicago and Columbus, before he came to Vancouver and, and really found himself as, as an NHL player. But where is Will Lockwood in his development? Yeah, I think um... – it's probably, like you said, it's a little bit later than a lot of people would have hoped for. I think he's 24 years old now. Um, but he, but he's really playing with a lot of confidence out there in Abbotsford. Uh, just talking to him last week post-game, he was saying, like, 
he knows at this point in his career, like what he needs to do. He needs to be skating at a hundred percent on every single shift. Even if the play isn't happening, like right in front of him, he needs to be skating at a hundred percent to be two passes ahead. Uh, and when he does that, he puts himself into great situations and the aggressiveness is something that he's kind of, I kind of want to say like honed in on a little bit, just like of, of knowing that the right type of aggressiveness is what his game is going to require to play at the NHL level. He he's not a guy who is going to be throwing the massive hits, but we saw the big hit, uh, the massive hit yesterday that he had, I think on Paterka or whatever it was, uh, he, he threw a big hit at that point. Uh, and that was good to see like him, him kind of taking advantage of his physical game because though he's a smaller guy, he's, you know, he's a, he's a thick body. He's, you know, he's, he's a big boy, like for his height. Uh, and he's able to throw the body around a little bit there, but he can't be, I, I think in his first few games, he just felt like he had to be shot out of a cannon on every single shift. Uh, and it just feels like his game, he's more kind of just finding a better balance. And I think playing in the AHL, a lot of people will say like, oh, it's, it's tough for him because he's going to be playing first line role uh, in the AHL and then coming up to the NHL. I'm sorry, but like AHL first lines don't play like NHL first lines. Like there is a, a huge grinding aspect right. uh, to being a top six player in the AHL as well. So um, I think he's he's feeling really good about himself. I think the, the confidence is there. Uh, he's been telling me that banana bread in the morning has been great for him, and that yep. might be a big reason why he's having these good games. So uh, I, I'd say roll with it. Keep having banana bread. And sometimes you can have banana and chocolate bread. They they combine them, and that's quite good too. I, as, I yeah, don't know if he, he's I don't know if he's considered that, but uh, I have that every. We actually talked about that. Yeah. He he said walnuts and chocolate chips has has been the right. the yeah. combination that's worked. Yeah. So keep doing this serious work down there, Fabs. This is very important mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, Linus Carlson, how has he adjusted to North America? His his numbers look pretty good. Three goals and seven assists, ten points in ten games. Yeah, uh, I think he's been the best forward in Abbotsford. I I wasn't surprised to see Will Lockwood get the call, especially with the position that he was going to be put in for that game. Um, I think if there's any need for a top nine player in this Canucks group, it's going to, in the Vancouver Canucks group, that is, uh, it's going to end up being Linus Carlson. Um, I, I think he's played, I think, like I said, I think he's the best forward out there in Abbotsford. He's way more physical than I thought. He's a much bigger body than I thought. I don't know if it was, you know, the camera angles that they had in the SHL when I was watching him last year, but seeing him in the AHL this year, he... He is not a player that is, you know, you have to worry about him adjusting to the North American game. He somehow just like flipped the switch and did it. He's physical on the corners. He's really good at just being in the right spot at the right time. And I think that really sticks out of the AHL level is his hockey IQ. Like he, he's not like uh, like what we see down in the AHL is certain players that just like have a ridiculous skill and it sticks out like Reed Boucher could score like crazy right now. Even like Tristan Nielsen uh, has such good speed that it gets him into good positions, but it just feels like Carlson doesn't have to like rely on one skill. And that's, that's actually what I really thought he was going to do. Like I really thought that Carlson was going to rely on that power play scoring that he did uh, in the SHL. And that's why he was going to be an effective AHL or was to just play on the power play and rip shots and, and look, you know, like a potent score at uh, at five on four situations, but it's really the five on five play that's impressed me. I thought he was going to struggle with that coming over to the AHL, but he just gets to the right spots on the ice at the right times. He does a really good job of setting up his line mates. I he there's a bunch of times where you know that just hasn't been the finish on a lot of really pretty plays that he's set up. He scored, you know, playing with confidence, scored a goal where he put the you know put the puck between his legs and roofed it. Like he's he's feeling really comfortable about it and just even talking to him out there like you can hear it 
he he feels really good about the steps that he's taking and i think he knows that the nhl is is not that far away from him right now because as the best forward uh, in the AHL, he might not be getting called up into these situations where he needs to play on a fourth line. But as soon as they need a top top nine forward, it's going to be Linus Carlson. And I think just the smarts is going to be the thing he's going to have to lean on at the NHL level is just being in the right spot because the, the skating isn't impressive for sure. Like it's not something that I look at and I'm like, oh, yeah, like he he skates like an NHL or he doesn't do that. He's just. He just moves like one almost, you know, like he doesn't skate like one, but he moves like an NHLer and he's in the right spots at a lot of times. So I've, I've been really impressed with him and it's, it's, we haven't seen like the, the good shot. Like that's the thing. We haven't seen him do that thing that he relied on at the SHL level. So when that starts to come, like he's going to really start to dominate the AHL right now, he's just playing good hockey and not relying on anything, but when he starts to really like kind of ramp up that shot, I I, I think he's going to look like a really good AHLer and probably an NHLer at some point this season. Fabes, thanks a lot for doing this today, bud. We really appreciate it. Enjoy the rest of the week. We'll do this again next week, and if not that week, the week after that. <laughs> Sounds good, guys. You guys have a good show. Yeah, you too. Thanks. That's uh, Chris Faber here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650 from Canucks Army and Canucks Conversation. And I just realized I did that thing where someone wishes you to have a good experience, and then you say, yeah, you too. Mm-hmm. only to realize that he's not. He said, have a good show. I said, yeah, you too. Right. Here's uh, your bill, sir. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Enjoy, enjoy your flight. You as well. I always do that. Oh, it's yeah. the worst. Mm-hmm. It's not the best. It's because you're not paying attention to them. I was paying attention to him. Mm-hmm. He's he still thinking again? about Carlson to Ottawa. Yeah. You mean Halford isn't totally cognizant during his pleasantries? What? Yeah. <laughs> he's checking Tell me everything that Faber said about Will Lockwood. He was the dog of the. I, I looked that up on my own. He didn't even say that. No, I know. I said he loved uh, banana bread with <laughs> walnuts. I got that part. That was the most memorable part. That was, that was the most memorable yeah. part. That's when Halford perked up. He's yeah. like, ooh, what? ooh, chocolate, banana, <laughs> banana bread. I don't even like sweets. I love banana bread. Uh, let's whip around the NHL really quickly from last night before we go to break, and then we're going to shift things over to Nick Shook from NFL.com. Talk a little pigskin on the other side. Uh, I think we mentioned this already, but the devil, we don't lead with a lot of New Jersey Devils talk here on the Halford and Bruff show. We almost treat them like a curiosity every time. We're like, did you see yeah. the devil? Ten, they're, they're ten wins in a row. Yeah. yeah they're, they're on a heater. Yeah, that's that was the clip that you played. Was that coming back from break this time, or was that earlier? I was I with remember. Amber. So okay, last time. Yeah. Um, really interesting because at the beginning of the season, we were kind of in wait and see mode. I think for three, four teams really in the East that were young and are they going to take the step? And it was New Jersey, Detroit, Ottawa, and Buffalo. That's fair, right? I think there were pretty decent expectations of all four of those teams. The question was which one was going to jump out of the gates. Buffalo did. Ottawa didn't. Detroit's been, meh. They had a really bad loss last night in Anaheim. And then there was New Jersey. And New Jersey actually started poorly to the point where they were you know chanting fire lindy in the stands at the prudential center but so anyway since it's played out now close to the 20 game mark you saw the follow-up chant right yeah the sorry lindy sorry. which was really funny actually and he that's didn't even hear it honestly. yeah, that is yeah that's pretty funny. good sorry lindsey <laughs> clap 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 did you just call him lindsey yeah he did was what, that that was intentional though right? oh, you said lindsey oh did i sorry. no it wasn't intentional <laughs> it was completely accidental it would have been funny. Hey, Lindsay would work, though. It would have been funnier. It's a good hockey nickname. Yeah, Lindsay. Ah, Lindsay over there. Yeah, somebody's <laughs> called him that sometime or another. Anyway, uh, the Devils got it on track, and now they've won 10 in a row, which is a real good heater. Buffalo's really scuffled now, and mm-hmm. so to the point where I'm not sure what to make of Buffalo, because when they came through and they picked apart not just the Canucks, remember, they beat Calgary and Calgary, Edmonton and Edmonton, 
Then they they stunk the joint out down in Seattle on that trip. But they, I thought they looked pretty good. Have we mentioned anything about the Islanders being no. in second place? We no. haven't even talked about it. It goes New Jersey, New York, Carolina in that metropolitan division. I don't think anyone had teams in that order. No, so I'm glad you mentioned the Islanders. Do you remember how upset Isles fans were mm-hmm. with the offseason that Lou Lamorello had? What if I told you right now that Barzell has zero goals? What place do you think the Islanders are in at the start of the year? You probably even yeah. know. Well, Hor- Horvat, has, Horvat has 14 goals. The Canucks must be in first. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm telling you. Speak, so you, I don't know if you guys did this intentionally, but with the Islanders and Horvat, so Islanders Twitter right now, there's a little bit of buzz that that's going to be where Horvat's going to end up in a trade. That they that the Lamorello's eyeballing that as a potential for who? G- Sorry for who? Take your pick. They've got uh, what the Finnish kid Atu Rati, I believe, is a highly touted prospect. Ratu, Ratu, Atu Ratu. I don't, you know, I don't want to get too tied up in it. It's R A T Y, right? Yes. But, yeah. Okay. There's a little. Uh, um, the idea is that they see a blueprint where I don't. This is a stretch, but it's not going to be Noah Dobson to, it won't be Noah to Dobson. the people that are no. probably Stop wondering that. about that. Stop you gotta. That. A young defenseman that has 12 points in 17 games and is playing 20 minutes a night. Yeah, they're not going to get that for what could be rental. But what they're saying is, remember when they traded for J.G. Pajot and they signed him to an extension immediately? Mm -hmm. The thought here would be that you would bring in Horvat, you'd sign him to an extension immediately, and then then you'd have that 1C, 2C for the foreseeable future. Which, honestly, Barzell and Horvat is your 1-2. You could do a lot worse. It's pretty good. Barzell needs to score more goals. But anyway... Uh, no one's talking about the Islanders in part because it's the Islanders, but um, they're largely predicated on the same things that have made them successful going back to the Barry Trotz. They're really good goaltending. Mm-hmm. I think they have the best goaltending tandem in the NHL. Would you agree with that? The one-two that they've got on the island? You're the goaltending guy. Yeah, it's pretty solid. It's got to be in the top it's, five. It's so probably there. the way yeah. they play, too. It's, they've it's, also got yeah. a pretty deep defense. Their, yeah. their atmosphere is a little bit nicer than, let's say, Thatcher Demko's atmosphere. Yes, yeah. okay, that's a good well, way when you, When Barry Trotz is your coach for a few years, you, you take things from that coach. Even when he goes, you don't just suddenly forget how you played. I, wonder, I think Lane Lambert is just like a different version of Barry Trotz. He's got more free-flowing hair. Right. I mean, by that, I mean he has... Yeah. More hair. Mm-hmm. And I think that a lot of the systems play that they had have been carried over. I wonder if it was just, you know, everyone really panned Lamorello for the change. So like, wait a minute. Like, why did you fire Trotz in the first place? And then secondly, it's like you're replacing him with his right-hand man. Yeah. But it's obviously worked. Something's clicked there. And to be honest, I think it's hilarious that no one can really explain exactly what it is because... It's almost the exact same roster from last year. It's almost the exact same team with a coach that was right beside Trotz last year. They ran it back, and now they're looking like they're going to be a, a playoff team once again. So I think it's really interesting to see how that's going to play out. But yeah, the, the East is the East is really fascinating to me in part because it looked like there was going to be a new wave of teams. We thought some of the old guard was going to fall off, Boston possibly, and they've done the exact opposite. They've been amazing. Yeah, but Washington and Pittsburgh have both fallen off. Pittsburgh's in a real, other, ba- real bad. It's finally right happened. Now. Washington, you're all yeah. waiting for it. Washington, yeah. I know they've got all sorts of injuries. Yeah, right, but that's not a good team right now. The biggest difference between Washington and Pittsburgh are scuffling big time right now. Pittsburgh's two seven and two in their last eleven, and they lost again last night. Um, Washington's ba- really banged up. I don't know if they're going to be able to survive all the injuries that they have. Pittsburgh's relatively healthy. Like, this is kind of the Pittsburgh team that they put together. Yeah. And it's just not getting the job done. And, you know. Do you think there's any way that Mike Sullivan could come free? Becomes the head coach of the Vancouver Canucks? I don't know. They just signed him to an extension. I know. They just signed him to a big extension. But the runway's so small there. 
You don't yeah. have the wasting a year in Pittsburgh. It's not really an option. None of these guys are getting any younger. I and for those that are going to push back, Pittsburgh has injuries too. I know they've got some injuries on the blue line, but compared to not Washington, really. I mean, Jeff Carter had to play a shift the other night because they were thinned out. But they're, it's Ru- not nearly as bad as anybody you else. Think Rutherford's me- Rutherford is messaging him. Are you hearing? Yeah, any, we, yeah. any rumblings? Well, how's I, your job security feeling? Again, right? I just wonder if if. I doubt that Sullivan shakes loose because it's it's a lot. It's firing him in the first year of an extension. But it's crazier things have happened. Tockett's the one that still kind of seems to make sense if you can't get Trotz, I suppose. And I don't think Barry Trotz is a fit here at all. Okay, we're going to take a quick break from the hockey talk and go to the NFL with Nick Shook coming up next on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I heard Bick and Sat trying to break down the um, the buyout of OEL's contract, and it's like they needed a supercomputer to do it. After evaluating millions of pieces of data in the blink of an eye, the Gambletron 2000 says the winner is Cincinnati by 200 points. Why, you worthless hunk of junk. Time now for Sportsnet 650 traffic from the City News 1130 Air Patrol. Seven thirty-two on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet six fifty. Halford and Bruff of the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Now, hour two of the program. Nick Shook from NFL.com is going to join us in just a moment here. Right in the middle of hour two. Hour two is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling, Vancouver's premier. Metal Recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle. You get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. To the phone lines we go. Nick Shook, NFL.com, joins us now on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Nick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? We're good. Thanks for taking the time to do this. We appreciate it. Uh, I kind of want to start with what happened in Munich over the weekend. The Seattle Seahawks, near and dear to both of our hearts here. You know, when we looked at this game three weeks out, I believe it was prior to that Giants game, and we said there's the Giants, the Cardinals, and then the Bucks And the Seahawks, if they run the table, they'll be 7-3. and three. But even if they don't, they'll be 6-4 and four and still in really good shape going into the bye. The Seahawks are 6-4 and four and in really good shape going into the bye, yet I still feel that that was a disappointment on the weekend. I'm just trying to figure out how big a disappointment it was. Uh, I mean, it was a bit of a disappointment just because you'd rattle off four in a row. You were rolling. You know, you'd beaten some quality teams, or at least quality when you look at the grand scheme of things entering the season. You know, like you just described, Arizona, the Chargers, the Giants, the Cardinals again, and then Tampa. You get that fifth one. All of a sudden, you're 7-3. and three. People are probably taking you more seriously than they are right now. And, and, and the other bummer is the fact that you go into a bye week on a loss. And, and so, you know, this is a team that, Nobody expected anything out of it. I think you've talked about it before prior to the season where, you know, I, I didn't expect anything out of them. I thought they would probably end up near the top five or ten in the draft just because it was a roster that was turning over, a team that didn't have a franchise quarterback. And yet what they've done is exceed every expectation that was possible for them so far. And yet they're only six and four, which is a bummer because <laughs> this team has played better than six and four, uh, and especially during that winning streak and it does make you wonder, you know, are they as good as they were during that winning streak? You know, are, are they, is, is Gino, you know, do I believe my eyes? Are my eyes telling me the right thing? 
and then you have a week to wait where you're now in the bye, and then you come out and you play. I think you play a really favorable three-game set personally where it's, you know, the Raiders, the Rams, and the Panthers, and yeah. those are all very winnable games. But it just it makes you question whether they're as good as they've played and if you should really get your hopes as high as, as you probably had them going into that Tampa game, especially against the Tampa team that was reeling prior to week nine and had to travel, you know, over to Germany to try to, you know, con- continue to turn its own season around. Yeah, like, I look at it, and it's like, okay, tap the brakes. They were complaining about the field conditions in Munich, and that might have led to the fact that this kind of, like, anemic ground game in Tampa Bay really got going against the Seahawks, and Geno Smith had a bad first half. Those happen, and all those sorts of things. It's almost like the doubt crept in a little bit, and as you mentioned, the bummer is going to be you got to wait a full week to figure out if that was just a one-off or if that's a trend of something to come. Yeah, no doubt. And the surface, you know, like you said, it it wasn't good. It was just – it, it the whole thing felt a little strange. It felt like um, they were almost transported to an a, a alternate reality of sorts. The fact that they were playing, you know, in Munich and they're singing "Country Road" and and there's two minutes left in the game and and just everything had gone poorly. You wonder if there's you know the travel had affected them because they didn't really wake up offensively until the fourth quarter. Um, and that's a very long trip for, you know, coming from where you guys are. It's, I wouldn't quite say it's halfway around the globe, but, you know, you're starting to get in that territory once you fly that far for a football game. So it's, um, it, yeah, you would have felt a lot better about it. But it, it felt strange in its own right. And I think you'll know more about this team in weeks 12, 13, and 14 than you learned from week 10. Uh, I got two jumping off points from that conversation. One, did you make note of the fact that both teams were like glowing in their reviews of how cool the atmosphere and experience was in Munich? I know the field was a problem, and I'll, we'll get to that in a sec. But, um, I, you know, Tom Brady talked about it, and I know Pete Carroll talked about it, and they were throwing around terms like special, and, you know, it was really like almost awe-inspiring. And they obviously said it was much more enjoyable from an atmosphere perspective than the London games. Did you make note of that as well? That was interesting to me, and I, and I wonder if, you kind of used to hear the same things when they would go to London too, but now it happens so often that it almost has started to become, eh, you know, business as usual. We get this every two, you know, two or three times a year. It's kind of like if you were, you know, treating it as a Seahawks home game where, well, they're going to have seven more after this one, or, you know, depending on the year, they'll have eight more after this one. Uh, whereas this was the first one in Germany. You know, I went to the Formula One race in Miami in May and it, it felt special too, because it was the first one. So, um, I think Germany fans probably miss football in, in, you know, they used to have teams there in NFL Europe and, and that has been gone for quite some time. I thought that it, it felt special in the fact that it was, you know, the first time there and the environment itself, you know, the way it looked on TV, and everything, despite the field being poor, uh, it, it just looked very different, very cool, very unique and special. And, um, and, and I also think that, you know, Hey, if you've ever gone to Europe, for the first time, you're always going to, you know, think back and be like, man, that was such a cool trip. Sure. Like, I've only been to Europe once in my life, and I thought it was a, a phenomenal trip that I still talk about, and it's been eight years since that happened. So it's almost like this is their first trip to Europe, except it was their first trip to Germany, where fans were certainly ready to take them in and, and, and watch them play football and support them all the way, no matter what. We're speaking to Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, I want to stick in the NFC West. Uh, I know you covered that Rams cards game for NFL.com. Uh, I don't want to look back too much because all due respect to Colt McCoy and Wolford, it was not uh, it was not terrific. But I think a lot of the questions now 
for the Rams are so big picture with Cooper Cup getting hurt. And I mean, I don't even know if they'll activate him for the rest of the season if the season's done. But you look at this now and it's been a complete nightmare of a Super Bowl defense. Uh, Matt Stafford's got a ton of health issues. Aaron Donald, we've heard about him potentially retiring. We've heard about Sean McVay potentially leaving. Like, are we looking at the possibility of a Rams team that's going to go from winning the Super Bowl to being completely decimated in terms of the architects of the team and the stars on the field? I think it's very possible. Yeah. And the reason is, well, first off, in defense of Cole McCoy, he was dealing on Sunday. He was good. Yeah. He was good. Yeah. <laughs> I just, yeah I, of all the games I had to choose, I wasn't going to go to the McCoy-Wolford matchup. Like, that was just, it was through right, no fault right. of their own. Yeah, I tripped and fell into that one myself. Um, but, no, I think I think it's, it's very possible for the Rams because this is a team that went all in. This is a team that's heavy on star power but lacks the depth that lacks. I mean, I, I felt like this going into the season where, you know, we're watching them get shredded by the Bills in week one, and everyone's all stunned. And it's like, hey, if you look at this team on paper, other than Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald and Bobby Wagner and, you know, Leonard Floyd, the other seven guys are really not that impressive. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that's often what matters, you know, in, in this league. It's an 11-on-11 11 11 game. I think it matters more in this sport than any other sport to be, you know, strong throughout that 11 or as much of that 11 as possible. And they've sold their capital. They've they they sold it and went all in to go win a Super Bowl and it paid off. But the problem is, is is there's just not much there. There's not much to develop or look forward to. They missed on their picks in the past. Guys, guys like Tutu Atwell um, have you know done basically nothing for them. There's no reason to really be excited beyond this. Everybody who's a contributor is pretty old, save for like Cam Akers who didn't even want to be there until the trade line deadline passed and they weren't able to trade him. The offensive line is a mess. Um, the, the only young, really exciting young player that they have in the offensive line got hurt weeks ago. That's Joe Noteboom. So, yeah, I think that this is a serious reclamation project, and I'm curious to see, um, you know, what they – I'm not even – I don't even think that they're going to turn any of the season around, really, especially after you lose Cooper Cup. Their offense is putrid. Yeah. It's a bummer for Allen Robinson that he hopped on board a year after they won the Super Bowl, <laughs> considering all the stuff he went through in Chicago. But it's just – there's no light at the end of the tunnel for this team. They're not going to get any better overnight. And it starts up front, starts with their, their offensive line, which you always need to invest in, which they have unfortunately not been able to keep healthy and intact. So um, I, it's, it's going to be a challenge for Les Snead because this is a guy who does not have the reputation as a draft guru necessarily. He likes to you know trade those picks and, and get, get sure things back. Well, eventually that capital runs out. It reminds me a lot of, I don't know, you can think of this, but like it reminds me a lot of when LeBron goes to a team in yep. the NBA, and then like the last year they're scrambling to try to put pieces. I mean, it happened twice in Cleveland, it happened in LA, it kind of happened in Miami, but not so much because they were younger and could still carry the team. Then uh, it's kind of the same thing where they went all in, and now they're like, "Oh, we don't have anything for the future. What are we going to do?" Yeah, it's interesting, right? Because the selling all out for the Super Bowl, I mean, it's worth it. That's the ultimate goal is to hoist the Lombardi trophy and win one. But Les Snead did it in a way where it's, I mean, the, the, the famous line, the F them picks and just going completely all in to win the Super Bowl. I think maybe he didn't say the second part out loud, which was like, and now reality is going to hit us in the face. Cause you can't go and commit that much resource to one particular season and mortgage the future that thoroughly without the future saying, okay, the checks are due now. Right. And I, and it just so happened that it was the exact year after they won the Super Bowl. I don't think anyone expected the downfall to be this quick and this severe, but that's also the NFL, right? Like guys do get hurt. Things don't always work your way. Sometimes you can be on top of the mountain. I guess what we're seeing in L.A. right now is you can fall off it pretty quick. 
Yeah, I think if their offensive line had stayed more intact than it did, they'd, they'd probably be in a better situation than they are right now. Because if you look at the roster, it's good enough to, like, you know, go 9-8, and 8-9 eight, eight and right now, which is probably they were hoping, you know, let's do that, maybe score a couple more wins, get the playoffs, catch fire again like last season with our stars leading the way. It's just that when you suffer injuries and you're a star power, you know, star-laden team without a, as much depth because you've given up those assets – then it really shows and it gets really ugly. And I think that's where they are right now. And, and I mean, cap wise and everything else, it, it, it's going to take a bit of an examination to figure out where they're going. It's funny. It's kind of unfortunate, really, if you think about it, that, you know, we spent a little bit of time in the offseason wondering if Sean McVay was going to come back, which sounded crazy. The guy's super young, but, you know, he's also super intense and he just wanted to start a Super Bowl. Maybe he wanted to get out. You know, maybe he wanted to go to, look, I want a ring. I have poured myself into this, and I'm under 40 years old. I'm going to go win. I want a ring. I'm going to go do the broadcasting thing. Yeah. And and yet he resigned, and it ended up being nothing. Well, now I'm starting to think about that again. Is well, maybe you should have left, you know? <laughs> <laughs> again, you, you can't predict that these disaster scenarios would happen when it comes to the offensive line and, and even Stafford getting hurt and, you know, Cup getting hurt and everybody else. But, uh, you know, it's always a possibility. Uh, Nick, I know you're busy this morning and we got like, you know, I just want to throw one real by you quick because we're going to talk about this in a minute. The grass versus turf debate that's going on in the NFL right now. Uh, we've been paying attention to it for a while because we've got a very large multi-use uh, indoor stadium here, which is turf. And we all know that there's a push right now for the NFL to go all grass, largely coming from the players. Aaron Rodgers brought it up the other day that he hopes the NFL will mandate that all games be played on natural grass surfaces. Have you been keeping an eye on this one as well, like this story percolating there? Yeah, this has actually been happening for a few years. Yeah. It's been really quiet, and we haven't paid attention to it. And I think the players have struggled to unite to get the message out, and now it seems like they're really getting the message out. They've actually accomplished what they needed to to get other players to speak out at once, which is, you know, whether it's on Twitter or whatever social media account or platform might follow Twitter. Uh, you know, it's, it's an interesting issue because, like, AstroTurf used to be terrible. And then you got field turf, which is – what they're talking about now that's more resembles grass. You have rubber and sand infill usually. Um, it feels much more like a natural grass field than what they used to have, but it's still not natural grass. Mm -hmm. If you've ever been on a natural grass field in the NFL, most of them are spectacular. They're yes. immaculate. They feel like soft as beds. And it's not the natural grass field at your park that you're going to go play peewee in. Okay. It's definitely much different. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so I can understand that. But I also, the biggest thing to me is not that, um, you know, hey, we need to be on grass field versus turf. Because I, you know, having played on both way, you know, over 10 years ago now, uh, I always preferred turf personally, but I was also an offensive lineman, so it wasn't like I was really moving at high <laughs> Right, velocity. right, right. Uh, I, but so I, the biggest thing to me, though, is we have multiple indoor stadiums in this league. How are we going to grow grass in there? Now, you have some of them, like, you know, Vegas rolls in a field, Arizona rolls in a field, but not all these stadiums are equipped for that. You could put a grass field in, in Seattle, but good luck maintaining that. Um, you know, there's there's a lot of different instances where teams went to turf out of necessity. Carolina just went to turf out of necessity after having grass for many years because they used that stadium for a ton of events, including soccer. You're just going to tell them suddenly you need to change it. Houston went to turf because they used to bring their grass in on trays, and there used to be seams, and then guys would get their foot caught in the seams in the field and, and get injured, you know, suffer injuries there, and there was a big complaint about it then. So. Um, I get it. I understand the give part because these guys are moving at incredible speeds and they get their feet caught and everything else. But I think that um, it's going to take a lot of work to be able to 
figure out a, a happy middle ground for some of these stadiums that have been forced to switch to turf just for, you know, more usability. Nick, you're the best, bud. Thanks for doing this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy all the games this weekend. We'll do this again soon. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. Yeah, thanks, bud. That's uh, Nick Shook from NFL.com here on the Halford & Brush Show on Sportsnet 650. I love talking to him about football. I don't think there's anything we could have possibly thrown at him that he wouldn't have had a good answer for. We threw turf at him. And he's citing off which and stadiums, have, yeah, which have gone from grass to turf and yeah, vice they, versa. They used to roll it in. They don't do that anymore. No. Uh, the there panels. has been a big trade in Major League Baseball. Sportsnet 650, breaking news. Uh, I think Jeff Passan was the first to break this. Uh, Teoscar Hernandez, popular Blue Jay, has been traded, and this is interesting, to the Seattle Mariners. Dun, dun, dun. There was a report yesterday from John Morosi that this was rumored. Looks like How do you feel as the resident Blue Jays fan? Well, the player rumored by Bramosia coming back was Chris Flexen. Mm-hmm. I'm not too happy about Chris Flexen, if that's who the return is. Tell us about asking. Chris Flexen. What is? Well, he was the basically number five starter for the Mariners, okay. and he got relegated to the bullpen at the end of the year. Yeah. Performance issues, and he's a guy. Sounds <laughs> so like this is contract related, right? Yes. So Teoscar is going to arbitration. Mm-hmm. He's got you know very minimal time left of control in his career before they have to dole out some big money. He was a guy that they decided to move out. So we'll wait on the details of this trade, but again, Teoscar Hernandez has been traded from the Blue Jays to the Seattle Mariners. We'll wait on the return there. Um, Hoping for I- J-Rod. Crossing <laughs> my fingers. It sounds like he needs to do more pitching and less flexing. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Promise me you'll never say that again. More pitching, less flexing. That poor dog. <laughs> so uh, I'm just going to try and move on from that. It's because his last name's Flexen. Yeah. No, I got it. Uh, so the NFL players are starting to get serious about um, artificial turf and not liking it and trying to uh, get the owners to go to real grass. Now, this is obviously easier said than done, but it does seem like like the NFLPA has been vocal about this, yep. uh, more vocal than in the past, and then you're hearing big stars like Aaron Rodgers talking about it now. Um, I actually was thinking about this last night and bringing it back to BC Place, and it doesn't seem to be a huge issue in the CFL. Like they don't, I don't hear a, a ton of complaints about it. They have and bigger issues. I think they're just realistic. They're like, yeah, well, there, there's probably, I mean, there was grass in Edmonton for a while before it just became kind of untenable there, yeah. or it's just expensive. Right. And and this is a league that doesn't have the revenues that the NFL does. Exactly. They have grass for the Argos game, but you know, ask TFC fans if they like the Argos playing on their pristine grass. At any rate, I just wonder and let's tackle this from a Whitecaps perspective. How much is having turf at BC Place and playing at BC Place going to affect the competitiveness of the Whitecaps? How is it going to affect their ability to attract players to come play for them? Because if you look at the MLS and the list of stadiums and all the soccer-specific stadiums that have been built in the United States and, and Canada, I suppose, um, that have grass, mm-hmm. it's considerable. Like NYCFC, which is always I'm like NYCFC, New York yeah. City FC. Yeah, they uh, they're they've just announced that they're going to build a new soccer specific stadium in Queens, mm-hmm. and I imagine that's going to be 
a grass stadium. Like, I don't think you're going to spend all that much money and be like, well, you got it's field turf. It's like if you're building soccer specific. You should have grass. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean it's, it's pretty simple. Like, the, there, there's a lot of shared fields in MLS, and it's a mix. Not a lot, though. Not a lot anymore. There are fewer and fewer shared fields now. Yeah, I know Chicago true. went back to Soldier Field, but that, that has grass, I believe. Mm-hmm. It's like Seattle. It's uh, Charlotte. Charlotte, it's it, does New England still play at the at the at Gillette? Gillette? I think yep. I think they do. But yep. if you look at the Atlanta list, plays at Mercedes Benz, so there's there's about I'd say seven or eight. But there Chicago are, plays at Soldier Field. But there are way more teams playing in soccer specific stadiums with grass than the alternative. And I just wonder. And, and, and you know, I was reading stuff about Seattle and Lumen Field and. Mm-hmm. There's been talk of turning Lumen Field into a grass pitch, and Pete Carroll actually said the other day, like, this is something we have to think about. Now, it's an issue in places like the Pacific Northwest because grass needs sun to grow, right? Everyone, <laughs> every lawn expert knows that. There's a reason there's a bunch of moss. I don't know if it's a lawn expert. I think <laughs> Anyone, on the, anyone, most people know that you need sun to grow yeah, grass. Yeah, I have moss right, <laughs> right by my fence because that area of the lawn doesn't get enough sun. Sure. And, you know, that's an issue in the Pacific Northwest. It's obviously an issue with dome stadiums. Like, can you imagine you're in the Superdome? You're like, I don't think we're going to be able to grow grass in here, it's right? It's a tough one. Yeah, and now you can, you can uh, grow it outside and then cart it in. Yep. but. That's expensive to do, and you can't just change over stadiums. Like people are like, "Well, why don't they do that at BC Place?" It's like they don't have like a ton of land where they just, "Oh, this is our grass growing area." Right? You, you just hit the nail on the head, though. The reason that the NFLPA is pushing this right now, I don't want to be one of those like, "It's all about the money, follow the money, guys." But um, you just said it's really expensive. That's where the NFLPA is going to push back, and that's where I think this conversation could get really intriguing. Where they're going to say, "Yeah, it's expensive." Guess what? You're all multi-billionaires that own yeah. these teams. If there's anyone on the planet that can afford this, it's the guys that own NFL teams. That's And what it's going to come down to is it's going to come down to, I think, if the NFLPA positions itself correctly, is they're not willing to invest the money back into the players. These guys are sitting there with, I can't even tell you what, the, the valuations on these franchises are right now. Like, if a franchise came up for sale right mm-hmm. now in the NFL, what would it sell for? I have no idea. $5 billion, $6 billion, $7 billion? Yeah. I don't know, but it's a gargantuan sum of money. Well, the Broncos and, just got sold. What were they sold for? 4.1 4. Like yeah. to yeah, the Walmart guy, right? It's a lot of money. Um, t- t- what you come back with is that I think the evidence is pretty clear that there's less injuries on grass than artificial yeah. turf fields. I think it's pretty obvious. If the players start calling for it and saying, why don't these guys, I know it's an expensive proposition, but we're talking about the wealthiest people in North America, but, sometimes on the planet. But let's let's bring this back to the Whitecaps, though. But it, are they just, well, that's are the they, problem. It's too expensive. Are they just screwed? Yes. Be- because I think, I wonder, with the World Cup coming to North America, if Lumen Field might target 2026 to go to all grass, right? Just go, okay, we're going to, we're going to bring it in for the World Cup, and then after that, we're going to at least try to maintain it. We're going to see how it sure. goes. Now, the Whitecaps are going to truck in, or BC Place, not the Whitecaps. BC Place is going to truck in grass yeah. for the World Cup. There will be grass. They will not be playing games on artificial turf yep. for the World Cup in 2026. And Axel Schuster actually told 
Daily Hive, he was asked, like, do you think you could go, you could go grass full time after he said that, would, uh, he said that would be great. But I also know about our winters, the closed roof and the mini events on the pitch. I try not to get too enthusiastic about this vision yet. So he's not optimistic about that. No, I'm not optimistic about it. I just wonder how much of a competitive disadvantage this is going to bring to the white caps as this stuff gets ramped up because there seems to be way more attention. Like in my mind, I thought, Oh, I, I thought all the players were okay with like with the artificial turf because it had improved so much back to the old days when it was just like a, it was like a rec room yeah. carpet that they laid down and they're like, good luck. Enjoy the concrete. Yeah, no, I know. Okay. So in terms of a competitive balance, it's, it's going to hurt them for sure. It already has. There's certain players of a high caliber that won't come to a MLS team that plays full time on turf. They just, I, because they have a lot of other options, quite honestly. Right. So they're not going to ever, this isn't going to change. Part of the problem with the tenancy at BC Place is that it's too big, it's too old, it's too archaic, and it's not designed for soccer. It never has been, it never will be. As long as they're a tenant there, they're not playing on grass. That grass is going to come in temporarily for the World Cup, and then it's gone. That's it. They can't afford it. Yeah. Who's going to pay for it? That would Mm -hmm. be my first question. Who's going to pay to maintain this incredibly expensive procedure and project of keeping grass alive and maintained and healthy for what? So they can put down boards on top of when the boat no. show comes through? Like, I, it doesn't I, make any sense. And I know we got to go to break, but Graham and Surrey text in, uh, the indoor stadiums are an issue, but as far as growing grass in a rainy climate, every Premier League team plays on grass. Have you seen how much it rains in Liverpool? Yeah, it just takes an intense amount of care. Yeah, it takes a lot of money. If you go back to the 90s and watch old Premier League highlights, those pitches are destroyed. The goal mm-hmm. mouths are complete mud, and that's the highest level at one of the best leagues in the world now. Forget about it. They got guys out there with grass clippers doing every individual bl- blade of the grass. They, the facility that the Whitecaps have at UBC, we've been out there before, right? Yep. And I th- I'm surprised as a lawn enthusiast, you haven't spent more time just staring at it. Yeah, it's good like, grass. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful, beautiful mm-hmm. pitch. Yep. And it, but it is immaculately maintained. There's like five guys, these old dudes, just kind of walk around and like literally yeah. clip every single blade of grass to make it uniform. Mm-hmm. It is gorgeous. But it takes a ton of time. And what does that take? It takes a ton of money because you, you need to staff it. You need to constantly monitor it. And it's a very expensive proposition. It stinks that the Whitecaps aren't going to have it. But the fact remains, it'd probably blow the budget just to have a full-time grass pitch in BC Place. I wonder when the next stadium will get built in Vancouver. Well, I fear it could Vancouver be a long time. F- Vancouver FC is building one out in Langley. Yeah, we'll I don't think that's that. going to cut it. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff show on Sportsnet 650. Do we have a guest coming up or are we got an open segment? Entire open hour. Holy cow, an open hour? That's correct. Think of all the activities we could do. All the <laughs> so, shenanigans. So much room. So much room for activities. <laughs> all right. Please text into the Dunbar Lumber text line with any comments or questions or what we learned. We got an entire open segment to go around the sports world. We can talk more about the Canucks winning Last night in Buffalo, but will it make a difference to Bruce Boudreau and his job status? You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. It sounds like he needs to do more pitching and less flexing. <laughs> Promise me he'll never say that again. More pitching, less flexing. I'd say that less whining ought to do more thinking and less whining.